Live Feisties, If We Were Riding with Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross, is brought to you by Ass Kicker Inc., whose boutique line of activewear for women features positive, uplifting messages such as, actually, I can, and she believes she could, so she did, and is designed to fit all body types. You can get 20% off with the code RIDING, as in, if we were, and shipping is free for orders over $75. And remember, you're buying in Canadian dollars, so it's a lot less in US dollars. And you can have all of this at askkickerinkinkwithak.com. If We Were Riding is also proud to be sponsored by Crave Jerky. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Their bars, sticks, and jerky are made with tender gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. You can get 20% off your online orders by using the code RIDING at cravejerky.com. Hey, Kelly, I hear you're going to Bermuda. Yep. I leave on Wednesday and I'm going for five days, just a long weekend in Bermuda. A long weekend in Bermuda. Wow. For what? Why are you going? We are doing a story for Triathlete Magazine about like Flora and, and Bermuda, and it's going to be very exciting. Okay. Sorry. For those who don't know, who's Flora? Flora Duffy. Oh. God, guys, we're on a first name basis, <laughs> even though I've never spoken to her. <laughs> and actually, Bermuda wants to like show off uh, before their big world triathlon series race in April. They want to like show off all their training and their course and all that. So I will actually be doing a lot of Instagramming for Triathlete Magazine while I'm there. So people will have to stay tuned. Cool. And I hear you're training with Flora. Are you are you worried at all about keeping up? I am. I'm a little bit concerned. I literally am not going to training camp this weekend, like my team's training camp, because I was like, oh, I'm not in shape enough. I have a lot of work to do. I can't really keep up with people. And so instead, I'm going to train with the world champion. Totally makes sense. I'm sure she's used to be fair. I'm sure she's used to people not being able to keep up. I think everyone cannot keep up. So yeah, it should be fine. Right. Fine. But you are also planning a trip, right? Next week or the week after? The week after. I'm actually going to Tempe. You're going to Tempe, but you're not going to Triathlon Business International. Yeah. So yeah, last week we talked about whether I should go to the Triathlon Business International Conference. And I'm not going, but I am going to Tempe to plan a super secret, exciting new conference that kind of like my time there in Tempe overlaps with TBI. Why, Sarah, did you decide not to go to TBI? Well, okay. So I think where we left off this conversation is that I had been invited to be on a panel about diversity in triathlon. And so I sort of responded and said, yes, I think this is a conversation I'd really like to be part of. And then they responded with, here is your $100 off discount code to come to the conference. So that, just spelling that out, meant that I was going to have to pay $375 to be on the panel, which to me did not seem quite right. 
Did you also ask our listeners what they thought? I did. I asked the listen. We asked the listeners. <laughs> do you remember? We I, honestly have not had so much communication um, over the, this podcast as I did this last week. People weighing in just privately to me over whether I should go to TBI. And I have to tell you, it came out like a solid 99% of people said that I shouldn't go. <laughs> in all fair it is, I thought TBI was perfectly fun. Okay. And you're and you may still go for a, a little bit of it. Yeah. So there's a couple speakers that I would like to hear, including Andrew Messick. So I'm hoping to be able to take that in just without paying $375 for it. But it's interesting because a lot of the people who had been to TBI before didn't feel that it was valuable. So I hope that they're making the changes necessary. It sounds like they're trying anyway. But yeah, there you go. And you're going to ask Messick how much it would cost for us to buy Iron Man since I hear it may be for sale. Yes, it might be for sale. And that is a good question. I, I think we could probably get it. Like you said on the newsletter, like bargain discount rate. What would that be like? 500 million? Yeah, something like that. 450 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to crowdfund. It'll be great. <laughs> Amazing. You also had some other, you know, what's the word? Internet conversation. Speaking of all guys in triathlon this week on the slow twitch on the slow twitch, which apparently we keep referring to the slow twitch. And apparently our listeners have let us know that they don't know what that is. Yeah. Not all. I mean, many of them do. Obviously, sorry, not to be offensive, not offensive, not to assume you don't know things. But some have told us what is this slow twitch you keep talking about? So. Which I, I tried to make happen. I tried to call it the Twitch for a while and make that happen, and it didn't catch on. <laughs> anyway, so Sarah, explain to us what the slow twitch is. Okay, I don't, I don't know if I can do this justice, but slow twitch is, I think it's sort of the biggest online media platform in triathlon. Um, and it was started by Dan Emfield. And there's a lot of news there. There's a lot of techie kind of stuff on the site. And I think one of the biggest parts of slow twitch and the, their loyal audience are the people who participate in the forum. A lot of people associate slow twitch directly with the forum to the point where when I said I was having a conversation on slow twitch, a lot of people assumed I was in the forum having a conversation, but actually I was just commenting on an article on the front page of slow twitch. I think the articles kind of automatically create threads in the forum, but whatever side, mm -hmm. but yeah, the forum is predominantly what people go to slow twitch for. And in slow twitch's defense, like the forums can be like super insanely helpful. If there's like a specific tiny piece of your power meter that isn't working and you want to know if other people have had that same problem there will be someone on slow twitch that can tell you like how to fix it in two minutes if you want to know if you know the iron man louisville swim course is colder than the iron man chattanooga swim course like there will be people that within a minute answer that question like the minutiae of triathlon is all up in that forum yeah that's a good word the minutiae of those kind of techie topics of i don't know i would say there are some topics that are ignored entirely i don't know i've the conversation about say that's not true <laughs> the women got a sub forum there's a group on there called the women's you can talk about women's stuff there okay <laughs> Sorry, my mistake. My mistake. Um, and so, okay. So then Dan Enfield wrote an opinion piece on the front page of Slow Twitch about sort of the future of triathlon and what triathlon is going to look like in 2018 and some of the racing. I mean, in a way, he kind of agreed with some of the things we were thinking about swim run that we've talked about in previous episodes about gravel triathlons and really asking the question about what the future of triathlon is. Right. Um, I did include this link in this week's newsletter if people want to go and like read the article. And I was almost going to say in the newsletter, 
newsletter. Kind of what we've said, except I would have just said in fewer words, it'll get worse before it gets better. Let's make it exciting again. But he he wrote a lot of words about it. He did write a lot of words. And one of the things quite near the bottom of the article, there's a paragraph there where he comes in kind of swinging with, do you believe women are weak, fearful, unequipped, unable to exert, unmotivated to compete? Because that's what we all thought back in the day. And then he makes this comparison to millennials. We now think that millennials are weak, fat, lazy, uncompetitive, unequipped. But his point is, just like we were wrong about women, maybe we're wrong about millennials too. We were wrong, Sarah. We were wrong about women. I personally have realized how wrong I was. (laughs) Back in the day when you thought women were fearful, fat, and lazy... I mean, obviously, obviously, like you appreciate his sentiment or how much effort went into him realizing he was wrong about some things. But the fundamental question in that is who the hell is we? Right, right, right. That's it. Like, so yes, I had the same response. Like in a way, it's ironic because I almost agreed with him on this sentiment that like the dominant cultural assumptions about women about like these gendered assumptions that women are passive versus men who are active, like feminine being passive and masculine being active and and feminine being weak versus masculine being wrong. Like these are kind of some of the cultural ideologies that have been changing over the, you know, over the years. Saying that we <laughs> believed them seems like a s- strange step to make because who is we? And is he talking about himself? And I'm not, I don't think we all share those assumptions. This rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Well, I think the problem thing is that if by the very definition you're saying we should stop thinking this so we can include them, you are fundamentally not including them in we, right? You're basically in that very essence of your sentence, excluding the groups that you're saying we should include, which then is like, well, that doesn't, I don't, then it makes me feel like maybe you didn't learn and you didn't change your mind and you didn't include women and millennials and minorities and everything because you're still referring to them as them and they are still outside of who you see as the decision makers. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly the point. I I made a couple comments. I was I was trying to to shed light on that that until women and millennials and any group that's not currently included in his version of us, until those people are inside of the us as in until they're invited to present at TBI until people from those groups are seen as leaders and we understand them as us, you're not going to make any progress. And I think that's the point that was missed there is that it's not enough for the current version of us, which is, you know, mostly white males in their 40 and above until the current us actually includes millennials. In this case, he's talking specifically about millennials, but until it includes the millennials who are leaders among us, who are already doing amazing things and women and people from different racial backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera, then yeah, the people, the right people have to be in the room. Maybe they're trying, Sarah. I've, you know, a TBI, the industry decision makers, I feel like they're trying or they think they're trying. Maybe they literally just don't know any young people or women or minorities. (laughs) And so they don't even know where to start. It's a good point. I just don't believe that. So for example, I know Dan, you know, if somebody organizing the TBI conference wanted to, for example, find out who is 
leading the conversation about women in triathlon right now to have that conversation. I mean, Julia Paularino, the former editor of Triathlete Magazine, she's been in there before. If they don't know who the current leaders are, they know who to ask. And I feel like that's not happening. And it and it bore out in the, we got the breakdown of who's presenting at TBI. And I counted 46 men and six women. And But in all fairness, you were judging based on their names. And maybe <laughs> some of those names could be anybody. You don't know. True. There could be. It's all of the women called Greg and Dave are presenting. <laughs> right, exactly. At TBI. Stop apparently. judging with your limited viewpoint, Sarah. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, Kelly, do you consider yourself a millennial? Yes, technically I am because it starts like early 80s. I'm obviously on the edge because I'm like 85, but I think there's also when you get into those edges of generations because gen- you know, when you define millions of people and make vast ge- sweeping generalizations, things get missed. I don't know why. So when you're on the edges, obviously I think it comes down then to like culturally and do you identify with those things and like who else you grew up with? Like if you had younger siblings, it's often you often swing younger. But for me, I think the big difference is like that's when the internet came. And I grew up with the internet. I had the internet since I was in like second grade, AIM chat room since like I was seven, right? And so that's the big difference because I have similar friends, even my husband who's a few years older than me, they didn't grow up with the internet. Like they're not really millennials. Like they didn't really, Mm. they don't really feel it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel it. I know you don't. <laughs> you can tell I don't feel it. <laughs> I wanted to like ask about social media, right? Because I think for millennials, social media has been so much part of the way things are, like you say, the internet, the way things are. And in the US recently, um, you mentioned this to me that regulators are kind of cracking down on uh, what you can do and say on social media as a sponsored athlete or even as an ambassador. How far does this go? As an influencer, Sarah, they're cracking down on influencers. See, there you go. I'm not a millennial. I don't even know the words. (laughs) Um, The FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, did start to crack down a few years ago on influencers on what they were seeing as pay to play kind of uh, social media posts, you know, you pay me, I have millions of followers, obviously not me, but theoretical me, has millions of followers. And I say, this is great. Sarah's awesome. Go to her company, right? And I don't disclose that you paid me a lot of money for that. If that was an ad on TV, that would violate laws that we have here in the US. And so the FTC has always has kind of viewed social media platforms as media platforms, as another form of advertising, even though one could argue they're not exactly that. They are also conversations. They were founded as conversations, right? It's just another way for you and me to talk. And it's just social. Right. And the FTC can't regulate you and me having a conversation. That would be weird. But they have said they're going to be cracking down more on or getting strict. Like the federal government can always change its priorities, obviously, like as we're seeing currently in federal policy. And the FTC has said that they will be cracking down on social media pay to play to an extent that I don't think we've seen before. Like literally, if you use a hashtag that is like a sponsored hashtag, but you don't disclose that you were given that thing for free, that's technically a violation. And so technically a lot of triathlon teams and ambassadors that could be in violation of this, obviously, like, I don't think they really care about triathlon, but it's certainly something to consider because it's like this kind of gray area, wild west that I don't think we've ever really thought about. That's interesting. So technically, let's say you're a quote unquote influencer in you have 10,000 followers. Let's say, let's say, let's say. for example, <laughs> you had 10,000 followers on Instagram and you're sponsored by a triathlon clothing company, right? So and you put in your profile, 
you know, that you're a smash athlete or a Betty Designs athlete or whatever. And then you post up about how much you love some cycling shorts. Do you have to put in that post that you're sponsored? Technically, yeah. You have to, if you get it for free or if you're compensated in some way, you have to hashtag it like sponsored or hashtag ad. I've always thought that like if you just had it in your bio or if you linked to something, you know, like that, that would like if you said in your bio, you were clearly sponsored, that that would be fine. Technically, legally, it's like not because it has to be I forget what what the phrase is, but it has to be in a way that they cannot avoid disclosing the information or something like that. Obviously, like lots of people don't do this. And I do understand that there are, you know, tons of Facebook groups. Twitter threads, whatever, Instagram, where there are beginner triathletes who are like, what clothes should I use? And you can see this in Facebook groups. Every person comes on and you know, because you know them, that every one of those people is like sponsored or super tight to the company. But they don't say that. They're just like, these ones are great. And the next person says, mine are great. And the next person says, mine are great. And nobody says like, I'm telling you this and I'm sponsored by them. And so this poor beginner like doesn't know how to sort through that information, right? They don't know who's sponsored by what team and who isn't, which maybe doesn't matter. But do they not know? That's my question. Just so when I'm on social media, if I see that, I know, for example, that 99% of the people who are on ambassador programs or are sponsored by companies went to that company because they already love the kit and they already love the shorts. And this ties back into our previous conversation about millennials that you can see how your generation, Kelly, my generation, like are looking for more, are looking for like ethical practices from their businesses. They, they, <laughs> they, now I'm doing it. <laughs> see, you're Them not an and us. us. Never were. <laughs> But I would say we look to be sponsored by companies that we already love. I mean, I think that's generally become the common practice. And of course, there are people who will land outside that. But I would say those people are douchebags and that those of us who love the companies that we work with, you can trust us. I mean, can you trust everyone in triathlon? Yeah, I mean, obviously, yes. I think when you talk about ambassadors and when you talk about the people who like they're not getting much anyway, they're just doing it. Like they're just promoting that company because it's a thing they liked, right? Like they're not doing a lot for their 10% discount. Let's be real, right? Like they, it's not worth it to them unless they really liked that product. But when you talk about like some of the professional athletes who maybe are getting paid, especially like the big, big names, Mm. not like you or me, but like the big names who are getting paid to like promote chocolate milk, they're getting paid to, and sometimes in their contract, it says, you know, they will tweet 20 times and they will have five Mm. Instagram posts. And if they're not disclosing that, that is advertising. That's not a conversation. So where does that fall? I don't know. I think it is weird because like I do think there's like this weird line where like, how is it really different? I don't know. But it is true that for ambassadors, for the people that are like, you know, just your regular triathletes, they just like this brand. They're just working with it. They just like it because of all the reasons they already liked it. And and there is something to the fact like there's a lot of studies out there about how, marketing studies out there about how women, millennials, like the people that we are now trying to sell to mm. want more value from their companies, right? They want them to stand for something. They don't just want a pair of shorts. They want a pair of shorts that trying to take down the patriarchy or like that means <laughs> something or whatever, right? Yeah, I mean, and I understand that as someone who's just recently started my own company from the other side of it. I feel like if I'm going to be an entrepreneur, if I'm going to take that kind of risk and start my own thing, I want it to be meaningful. I want that thing that I'm doing to be in its own small way, making a difference in the world. And so I see that from both sides. I mean, that is what's part of why there's been a huge push in like women's sports companies because of this like desire for community and and engagement and friendship and like it meaning something more. FYI, 
for the people that run things, the decision makers. That's what we are looking for, apparently. <laughs> we we are looking for a little, a little bit of ethical practices here. We would like to thank our sponsors, Ass Kicker Inc. and Crave Jerky. You can support the podcast and get 20% off by using the code RIDING, that's R-I-D-I-N-G, at AskKickerInc, Inc with a K, dot com. And Crave Jerky, Crave with a K, dot com. If you don't already, follow us on all the social medias at If We Were Riding on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And make sure you subscribe to our feed on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. If We Were Riding is hosted by Kelly O'Mara and me, Sarah Gross. Our fabulous editor is Aaron Hamilton, and our social media coordinator is Helen Positor. None of you people can tell me to stop this time like the last time You better get ready to race to the top I'm ready to do this, show you what the truth is I step on the field, it's time to get real and I'm feeling so ruthless Okay, before we go, Kelly, we've been talking a lot about millennials and generations, and it's made me realize that I don't really have a generation. I'm too young, really, to be Gen X. And when you look it up, I am on the line in the gap. I'm 1976, and that's too young to be Gen X, really, and too old to be a millennial. Right, but I don't know that everyone needs a generation, Sarah. I think generations are just for, like, the important things that happen in history, and maybe, like, you're not important. <laughs> Hand over my crown Hand over-